Well, good morning. It's so good to be here again. And uh, I tell you, where God has led us this week is exciting to me. There's truly times when you come across a passage in Scripture and you go, gosh, one day I hope I get to preach on that. And this is one of those times. This is one, I know it's a little buzzy, I'm sorry. But this is one of those times, this is one of those passages that we're going to be looking at this morning, where, it's, where I've read this many times and I thought, gosh, if I could preach this once in my life, I'll be excited, because today is the day. So I hope that you guys enjoy it as much as I do, the preparation and study, putting this together for you. I pray that it's a blessing to you as well as it was to me. I want to start out this morning, though, by asking a simple question. How many of you have a nativity set displayed at home? A few people, not everyone. A few. And if you don't have it out yet, how many of you have one that isn't out yet? Yeah, okay. So it's, you know, they're not as popular probably as they used to be, but, you know, we have this beautiful one here. I tell you, it's pretty cool. I'm I was impressed when we put that out yesterday. But my mom, my mom was a Christmas person. She loved Christmas. It was her favorite time of year. And she had this nativity set that, that we would put out every year. And Christmas started at our house the day after Thanksgiving. And it lasted until January 2nd. And after January 2nd, everything came down and Christmas was over. But our nativity said it had all the pieces that we have here. It has the holy family. It has the shepherds. It has all the animals. And it even has the wise men way too early. Honestly, this should be, they should be over there, two years away. But that's okay. It's church. It doesn't have to be right. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> but my mom's was always that way, too. And I don't know about you, but we weren't sophisticated enough in our family to wait to put the baby Jesus out until Christmas Eve. We would put the baby Jesus out the day after Thanksgiving, and then we put the baby Jesus away on January 2nd. You know, and it, when you think about that, it's kind of it's silly, isn't it? I mean, we think about the baby Jesus, you know, and we think about it at Christmas time, and a lot of times we put it out, we put him out, you know, and then we don't think about him again until we put him away. And then we box him up and we stick him in this dark closet somewhere, never to be thought of or heard from again until the day after the next Thanksgiving. You know, and that's sort of a metaphor in our lives with Jesus, where we pull him out when we need him or we want him. And then when we're done with him, we box him up and we put him away. And we don't give him another thought. When things come into our lives that get a little crazy and out of whack, we'll go, well, we don't really need him. We can figure this out on our own. We're strong. We're people, right? We can do this. We're Americans. We stand up for ourselves and we do this on our own. Now, this is not an indictment about being an American, believe me, because I'm as patriotic as the next person. Family back serving in the military for years and years and years. But what it is, what it is a an indictment on us as Christians, sometimes we forget who Jesus truly is. 
and why we would never want him to be put into a box. Never want to mistake him for a ceramic um, figurine, or in our case, Jerry's mom made one and it's sewn up, stuffed with stuffing. It barely can stand up on its own, but it's really cool because it's handmade. But that's not who Jesus is. And so the passage that we're going to look at today is, is Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. And in this passage, we are going to see who Jesus really is. Again, I told you earlier that this is one of those passages that's just, it's so chock full of stuff. It's going to be exciting for us to dig through it. There are, in this passage, in these four verses, there are seven things about Jesus that are mentioned in here. The great pastor and theologian John MacArthur calls them the seven excellencies of Christ. Jesus. The seven excellencies of Christ. And also embedded in these four short verses are the three offices that Jesus holds. Prophet, priest, and king. So there is a lot in these four verses that we're going to get to today. So hopefully sometime tomorrow you'll be able to go home. But uh, just checking to see if you're listening. But we will be, we'll be done shortly. I promise you that. Um, let's bow our heads in prayer and then we'll read the passage and get right into it. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, again for today to be able to study your word. What a glorious thing it is to be able to study your word, that you gave us your word to be able to look into and find out the nuggets and the truth about you so that we can know you and we can worship you and we can love you more. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today with open hearts and open minds. And that when we think of Advent today and after today, that we would not just think of you as the little baby Jesus in the manger. But we would see the glorious, exalted Christ. We praise you. We thank you in your name. Amen. So my goal today when we walk out of here is that you would have a greater sense, a greater reverence for Christ than when you walked in. And maybe, you know, you've been in a time period in your life where your walk with Jesus has been a little shaky. I want this to be a day when you see him differently, where maybe you are reunited with who you first put your faith into. This is that kind of passage where it can really change how you think of him. So let's read these first four verses of Hebrews 1 together. Starting in verse 1, it says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making the purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, 
having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. As you can see, there is a lot in there. A lot in there. When we look at this very first two verses here, we're going to see that there are two mentions of the excellencies, the seven excellencies of Jesus. But then there's also a look at him as, as in one of his uh, offices as prophet. Let's dig into this first verse together, which says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke. Now, we could stop there, but he says he spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But when we say God spoke, what kind of reaction do you think we should have when we come across the words or we hear God speak? Like there is right now, we should have quiet. There should be silence. We should dig in and listen. When God speaks, people need to listen. And God spoke through his prophets in many different ways. Through Elijah, he spoke in a small, still voice. We've heard him speak in dreams and visions. God speaks differently. But he spoke to us in the Old Testament through the prophets. And prophets were not just in the books that we would be labeled as the minor and the major prophets. The prophets were throughout all of the Old Testament. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying, and one thing to keep in mind about the writer of Hebrews is we don't really know who he is. So that's actually a good thing because this book is so rich and dense with Christ and who he is, it's best to leave this attributed to be written by Christ himself, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and not to attribute it to any human. That book is too rich, and it's good that we don't know who the exact author is. But it was also written to Jewish Christians of the time. Jewish Christians who knew the Jewish law and were experts in the Jewish sacrificial system. So when we go through this, that will become apparent to us. But when God speaks, we are to be quiet. We are to listen. And there should be no question that all of creation obeys. Now, God spoke to us in two different ways, it says. He spoke through the Old Testament prophets, which we just talked about. But there was a second way. And the second way was through his son, Jesus the Christ, the anointed Savior of the world. In this first verse, we also see that first of the three offices we talked about, that Jesus is the prophet. One of the offices that Jesus holds is as a prophet. He is the word of God, and those Familiar verses in John 1, 1 through 2, where it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is God's final Word. He is a prophet, the final prophet. And we come after this into verse 2. Right at the beginning of verse 2, we see the first of the second or the seven excellencies of Christ. That he is the appointed heir of all things. And the word appointed here means that everything has been put under his feet. It's under his authority. And he was appointed to be the heir of all things 
from before eternity began. Jesus himself, himself tells us that in John 17, 24, about his eternal relationship with his father, as he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was arrested, he says this, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Eternally loved by the Father from before the foundation of the world. This foundation sets Jesus up to be the heir of all things. And the word heir here means that Jesus receives his rightful possession, his inheritance of all things under his authority by his right as the begotten Son of God. And this doesn't say that Jesus was created because he was begotten. Jesus has always been the Son since before eternity began. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, indicates that there was God before the beginning. And Jesus was his Son. The Father was always loving the Son, and the Son was always loving the Father. Psalm 2, 7 through 8 says this, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As of me, ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Romans eleven thirty six even further illustrates this and says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Everything under his authority as the heir. He is not only the creator, but everything was created by him and for him, which again brings out his heirship. By virtue of his sonship with the Father, he inherits all things. He is the creator and heir of the prophets. And the fact that he was the creator of all things is the second of the two excellencies that we see. And as we can already see that this little child is not your average child. This is not just some ceramic toy that we have over here. Jesus Christ is the son of the living God an eternal being with all the authority that heaven could give him. John 1.3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him. And for him. You see, in that second excellency, that he is the creator of all things. That word all, those three letters are huge. All things, everything under his authority. And as we move now into verse 3, we'll see even in verse 3, there was, we saw that there was two of his seven excellencies in verses 1 and 2. But we move now to verse 3. There are five. 
five in these in this one verse about our eternal Christ. Let's read that verse together. And I'll point him out as we go. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much superior to angels, as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. We start right away in verse 3 that we see that Jesus, the third of those seven excellencies, that he is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is the light that emanates from the Trinity. He is the light of the world. And he reflects perfectly the radiance of his Father. This is the baby Jesus whose birthday we celebrate on December the 25th. The radiant glory of God. The light of the universe. 2 Corinthians 4.6 really brings this out in the fact that he is pure light with no darkness in him at all. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Does your light or does your face reflect the light of our risen Savior? Remember when Moses went up to the mountain and he met with God and he came down and his face was so radiant that the Israelites asked him to actually cover his face? You and I are called to be the light of the world. To take the light of Christ out into the world. fact that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God is even tied into the next excellency which we find right away in verse 3 that he is the exact imprint of his father in other words he is God and this one excellency here over time in church history has been one where a lot of people have been put in prison and killed and beaten over this. Why would this one be so important, do you think? Why is it so important for this one that he is the exact imprint as the Father? He's so important. Because this has to do with the fact that Jesus himself is God. And there were people that had trouble believing the fact that God would walk on the earth in the body of a human. That that would be a difficult thing for their mind to think that there's no way a holy God could walk in a human body. But the word for imprint is the Greek word hypostasis, which is a huge theological word. And it means nature. It means that Jesus is the same nature as his father meaning he's totally fully god we don't have time to get into it too much but just know that he is also fully human and those natures 
don't cross against each other. Our God, our Jesus, is God, and He is man. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible Father, the firstborn of all creation. And what the writer, when Paul wrote in Colossians that He is the firstborn, he didn't mean that there was going to be a secondborn, or that Jesus was actually created. He always has been the begotten Son of God. What I want you to understand today is that the Jesus in our nativity sets is not the true representation of who our Christ is. He's not the little baby in a manger. And yes, he was at one time. And at Christmas we do celebrate his birth. But understand that when you go and you look at the nativity set with your grandkids or your kids, and they ask about who Jesus is, you need to tell them exactly who he is, is our Lord God. And you can be certain and rest that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Isn't it amazing how far we've gotten so far, which is not far, and what we've already covered? There is so much more. And the fifth excellency that we come across is that he upholds the universe by the word of his power, also in verse 3. He upholds the order of the universe by the word of his power. That is amazing. This is part of Jesus' administrative office and also part of his kingship, if you will, as he rules over all creation in order to maintain it and protect it. And he does this by the power of his word. The Bible describes Jesus when he speaks that he has a two-edged sword that comes out of his mouth. The power of Jesus' word, the authority of his word, upholds the whole universe and keeps it from crashing down. When we looked at earlier when Jesus was the creator of all things, let me remind you or, or tell you that when it said that he was the creator of the world, the word world in that section there doesn't just mean the things that we visibly see. It's more of the word means more like the ages. So Jesus created not only the things that we see and rules over them, but he rules over the things that we don't see like time and space, the physical laws, everything that holds together, everything, everything, all things, Jesus is the authority of, and he holds them in place by the power of his word. All of creation, darkness and light, visible and visible, earthly or heavenly, is under Jesus' authority. Colossians 1.17 says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Matthew 28.18 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All of his authority, all of the power of his word upholds creation. Hebrews 1.6 says, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. 
He is to be worshipped along with his authority. Psalm 95, 6 says this, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. And this brings us to the sixth of the seven excellencies. That his sacrifice on the cross purifies and removes the stain of sin. And this is the look into the office. Remember, we talked about the three offices that we have prophet, priest, and king. And this one is a look into the office of priest that Jesus holds. That while he was performing the final sacrifice as our high priest while hanging on a cross. And this is where he is the perfect lamb of God, sacrificing himself on the cross as the atoning sacrifice, satisfying God's wrath against sin for all creation brought about by the fall in Genesis 3. And like we spoke about last week, our sins have stained our lives. And all of creation is the victim of the fall. But when Jesus died on the cross, when he shed his atoning blood on the cross, he removed the stain of sin from our wedding garments as the bride of Christ. This is the thing that we forget. Jesus was born with a death sentence. He was born to die. He was born to sacrifice himself on our behalf, not his own. Now think about what this really means. Remember that the book of Hebrews was written to the Jewish Christians who understood the sacrificial system. They understood the Old Testament law. And the Levitical priests were continually running sacrifices on the altar because of the sins of the Jewish people. They were so numerous, there was no way they could stop sacrificing day by day minute by minute, hour by hour, year after year, the priests were burning and offering sacrifices to God on behalf of the people for their sins. Never ending, never stopping, never sitting, never sleeping. It's hard for us to even imagine that since we didn't experience it firsthand ourselves. But now comes Jesus, our high priest, who came to give the final sacrifice on behalf of every sin in the past, in the present, in the future. The final sacrifice, the propitiation of our sins, the final atonement. Jesus' death ended the sacrificial system and the law of Moses because there was no need for any more sacrifices. Hebrews 7, 26 and 27 says, says it this way, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. And this brings us to our final of the seven excellencies, 
But let's review where we've been so far. The first one is that, that he is the heir of all things. The second is that he is the creator of all things visible and invisible. Three, that he is the radiant glory of God. Four, that he is God of the same nature and substance as the Father. Five, that he is the one who protects and keeps order of all creation. Six, he is the final atoning sacrifice who purifies the stain of all sin. And seven, the final one, found in verse three, that he is exalted above all else and sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. And to me, this is arguably the most excellent of the seven excellencies. And hopefully I can draw that out so that you'll see what I mean. These words that he sat down are three words, nine letters that are possibly the most powerful words and letters written in the New Testament, at least in the book of Hebrews. And it's so easy to skip over them because we don't even give it a second thought what it means that he sat down. Understand that in the tabernacle or in the temple, there were no seats for the priests to sit down because like we talked about, they were continually giving sacrifices. They were continually working. There were no seats. There was no rest. But when Jesus sat down, it signifies that his work was over. It was done. As he said on the cross, it is finished. It was the end. He sat down. No sacrifice would ever have to be given again because he had done it. He had fulfilled his purpose. And, but that is not all what his sitting down signifies. And there's, there's four things, really, that, that his sitting down signifies for us. And the first one, outside of the fact that he was completed, was that he sat down at the seat of honor. When he sat down at the right hand of the Father, of the majesty of God, that was the seat of power, the seat of honor. And that's why it was, it's so hard to read, you know, about the sons of thunder, John and James, who wanted to sit at the right hand or the left of Christ because they had no idea what they were asking. But Jesus sits at the power seat at the right hand of the Father. And when he sat there, as number two, when he sat down there, he sat down as a ruler and a king. The third office that Jesus occupies is as king. 1 Peter 3, 22 says, Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him? When he sat down, everything was put under his feet. He is the exalted king above all things. And third, when he sat down, he sat down for rest. Because his work was done. Hebrews 10.22 But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And it's 
done. He has time for a rest. And a well-deserved rest indeed. Four, when he sat down, he sat down to intercede for us. Romans 8.34 Who is to condemn Christ Jesus? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? When Jesus sat down, it was finished. And he is now interceding with us, for us, on behalf of us, to the Father. But when he also sat down, there's one more thing. It became time for us to stand up. It became time for us to go to work. It became time for us to fulfill the great commission that he had given to us to go and make disciples. It is time for us to take these great truths that we have heard this morning and put them out there and share them with others. It was time for us to move. He came with a purpose. And then he ascended into heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And his work was done to intercede for us. So what should our response be to this? What should this knowledge of Jesus, this little baby Jesus, do for us? Well, I say that there's five things, and I will go really fast. One, we should worship him with our lives how we live them, and not just on Sunday. Two, we should give him our adoration for everything that he has done for us. Three, that we should be fearful of him in a reverent fear and not want to, not want to hurt him by disobeying him. Four, we should put our faith and trust in him and on his work on the cross to purify us from our sins. And finally, five, we should be humble before him and remember that we are subject to him, that he is the one who sits on the throne. <coughs> Not us. He, Jesus Christ, is our exalted Savior, and he is indeed final word God let's pray Heavenly Father I just praise you and thank you Lord for this message I pray God that it changes us in how we view Christ and how we view you Lord and how we serve you and how we worship you and how we love you and how we share you with others that we would never think of just celebrating your birthday and getting lost in all the festivities and forget who you are and why you came. Father God, I pray that you be with us today and the rest of these days and help us to remember